Thank you for joining us again on Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK. It is the November 27th, 2020 edition of the show, day after Thanksgiving, a couple of days before the Bills host the Santon, the Los Angeles Chargers. It's going to take a while for me to shake that. I'm usually pretty good when a team changes, but it's something about the Chargers just sticks in my head. I can't. I can't say Los Angeles Chargers. I'm having a big problem with the logos. Are you having this issue on the schedules? The Rams' new logo looks like it should be the Chargers. I know the Chargers have the bolt, but if you look at the Rams' new logo just on a schedule page, I keep getting screwed up, especially because the Bills are playing both this year, and so are a lot of other teams because of the AFC East. NFC West crossover, it's screwing me up. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think we should just stick with San Diego. And maybe enough. maybe it's because they just stayed in in Southern California. I don't know what it is, but I didn't have any pro- – I didn't keep calling them the St. Louis Rams after they moved to L.A. I have no – I don't call them the Oakland Raiders. Uh, but for whatever reason, I just go right to San Diego Chargers. Just feels um, fraudulent. Kind of rolls off the tongue. It does. It does. And uh, I'm joined here, as always, by Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic and Jonah Bronstein of The Bronstein Firm. And uh, we will be joined later in the show by Gerald Dixon, who has become a weekly guest for us, and Joel Staniszewski, who's been with the show for years and years and continues to come up with winning picks. Joel Staniszewski's 13-6-2 against the spread and uh, totals. So if you've been betting Joel Staniszewski, you have made some monies. Um, It's basketball season. And not only did we have the NBA draft recently, but it was pretty refreshing on Wednesday to sit down at the TV, uh, had some time to kill, and there were multiple games on starting in the afternoon. And I know that college basketball normally has been around for a few weeks uh, in usual seasons, you know, by the time you get to November, we're, we're full swing on, on basketball, but it just felt so good to see all the different games being played. Uh, UB season starts this afternoon. And, uh, I don't know, I, and Jonah, you, you're the one who follows basketball the closest out of all of us. I know Matthew, uh, also, uh, follows it pretty closely. I, I'm more of a casual observer, but how does it feel just to have basketball back? Well, you know, as a casual fan, it was kind of neat to see the games on TV on Wednesday. There's never really been that, you know, tip-off type day for college basketball where everybody was playing all day long, afternoon and evening. It was almost like the first round of the NCAA tournament in a way, just without the stakes and, and that kind of excitement. So from that perspective, it was kind of cool. I mean, I don't know. It's weird. You're seeing so many teams cancel games, move games, pull out of events, be on pause. You'd be starting – the UB men are going to be the first team to play an official game this afternoon. They're going to tip off against Towson right after we record, probably. But by the time the pod goes up, the game will be half over. But that's the first game for Big Four basketball. UB women had an exhibition on Wednesday. The men were supposed to exhibition against Gannon. That got canceled. Their first two opponents, Iona and Vermont, they canceled. Bonaventure, Niagara, Canisius are all either on pause or coming out of pauses. Their first games are either next week. Niagara plays at Syracuse next Thursday. The other teams, Bonner doesn't start till the 15th right now unless they schedule a new game. Canisius doesn't have a game for a while unless they 
put something onto the schedule that's not there next week. So the season is starting, but it's kind of fits and starts. It's not a lot of games. It's sort of like where college football is now. But if you remember, college football wasn't having this many issues getting off the ground at the beginning. So it's, it's, there's excitement, but all that excitement is a little bit tempered by the fact that it's just a weird season and we don't quite know where it's going. It doesn't seem as disjointed as college football, though, because of the sheer number of teams that are out there that you can watch. Of course, you know, what are there, three times as many Division I basketball programs as there are Division I football programs, or Division A anyway, what we used to know. And so, that's making it easier to make a new game when one team has to cancel. Yeah, especially you have a mid-major that is happy to take a game on short notice and fill in against a, a name opponent. Um, Right. Um, so what's the latest with the, the Metro Atlantic Conference and um, or the um, what am I why am I spacing the, the, the MAC, the MAAC um, and or the uh, uh, like a the, sheep, the Atlantic 10 uh, with St. Bonaventure. Well, which one do you want to start with, with the MAC? The MAC is pulling out of. The Mac, several of the teams in the MAC are kind of pulling their head above water from positives. They, they seem to ha- got hit, at least in recent weeks, by uh, positive cases more than any other league in the country. And, and a lot of these teams don't have non-conference schedules out yet or only have a game or two, like Niagara has one game. Canisius hasn't put much out there yet. And this is a league – other leagues are doing this. I, I don't think any the Atlantic 10 or the Mid-American are, but this is a league that's going to that scheduling format where – Teams will play each other twice in the same venue on back-to-back days to reduce travel and things like that. That's going to start in mid-December with the Metro Atlantic Conference. Metro Atlantic Conference has always been the only league in the country that played a couple games before the new year, while while other teams were still playing non-conference games. You're seeing more of that with other leagues this year. But to sum it up, the Metro Atlantic is probably going to play the fewest non-conference games of, if not any league, any of the league that, that I pay attention to in the country. The MAC has their own scheduling system that they've worked out. And a lot of these teams, like UB's got five or seven games, seven games on the schedule right now, all on the road. They're not going to play at home until January unless there's a change in the schedule. And Bonaventure, you know, I haven't looked exactly at what the Atlantic 10 is doing. They're closer to a major league. So I think TV has a lot to do with how you schedule the, more, the bigger of a TV deal you have. But I don't, they don't play a game until December 15th against Akron. And they got games with Hofstra. They have a scheduled game against UB. One thing for local fans, you're going to see less of these big four games. UB and is currently not scheduled to play Canisius or Niagara. Bonaventure does seem to be playing. They are playing UB. They had a game scheduled with Canisius. I don't know if that's going to stay on the schedule, but I don't know if they're going to play all three of those teams. And even Canisius, Niagara, they have a series of games late in the season, but I don't, you're not going to see them in both gyms and the same type of event that it's been in years past. So there's going to be less big four basketball this season than there's really ever been since the big four started. What are your thoughts on the NBA draft? Uh, Jordan Ora from park school uh, goes to the Milwaukee bucks and, uh, uh, and then there's uh, some other activity going on with some other uh, locals. Um, How many did we have? Just the one? Well, there's a Rochester guy, Isaiah Stewart, that went 16th to the Pistons. That's the highest any player from Rochester has ever gone. He played one year at Washington. 
And then with Jordan Wara, Jordan Wara was the first Buffalo Western New York player drafted in a decade since Lazar Hayward as a second round pick. Wara went 45th to the Bucks in the second round. It's probably lower than a lot of people thought a year ago when he pulled his name out of the, or over a year ago when he pulled out his name from the draft then and came back to Louisville and was a all American player at Louisville. People thought he would go higher in the first round than when he was a borderline first round guy a year ago. And it turns out as it does a lot of times with these guys that stay in college, you're a year older and you were a borderline first round draft pick, say you're still a borderline first round draft pick a year later, maybe worse. And that's kind of what happened with Wara. He went middle of the second round. Those guys, he did sign a contract with two guaranteed years, but those aren't automatic guaranteed contracts. Second rounders, some of them stick in the league. Some of them have great careers, but maybe more than half of them don't. But I think it's a good spot for Wara to develop because he's a shooter. And this is a, team that with its current leadership right now really values shooting they don't play their starters big minutes so there's a little bit of extra rotation time in there for guys but it's also a good team and a deep team that doesn't need him right away so he can develop at his own pace I think you'll see him playing a little bit in their G League affiliate out there and when he does get out there being that he's a shooter and they want guys to take shots he probably will have the green light to put him up and if the shots go in he'll keep playing if they don't he'll go back to the bench and keep developing and uh, Jalen Adams is uh, who I was thinking about also. He signs with the Milwaukee Bucks as an undrafted rookie, a two-way contract, which means he's a long shot. But Well, no, uh, he'll be in the program. So he'll play on the G League team probably to start the season, but they'll bring him up. You know, he finished the season with them in the bubble last year, so they're familiar with him. And being a guy that has been in the NBA now for a couple of years, you might be more likely to see Jalen Adams on the floor for the Milwaukee Bucks than Jordan Wara. It depends. Sometimes these guys come right out of college and they're ready to go, especially shooters. And sometimes it takes a year or two, especially on a good team that really needs him to be better than the guys that they have for them to put him on the floor. And I think it probably would take an injury to some of the guards, but I think you could see Jalen Adams playing for the Bucks this year. And I think you could also see if, if you're interested, uh, Wara and Jalen Adams playing together and maybe being two of the big offensive guys on the G League team when that starts. I don't know if the G League's even really put out anything about their schedule. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that's uh, – you forget about the G League sometimes, which is a great benefit for, uh, for these NBA rookies, for these young players, especially Jordan Ori going in the second round. I think a lot of people hear second round and they think, wow, that's pretty good. Well, there are only two rounds – and generally, even you get late in the first round, you're, it's, it's tough to make the team, uh, even as a late first rounder in the NBA because of the number of spots that are available. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not like the days of the CBA. These guys aren't just buried and forgotten. You're in the G League. Uh, not only do you get to watch the games because the games are, uh, there's a national television contract involved, so you get to watch them, uh, unlike the CBA. Uh, but yeah, these the, this minor league system that the NBA has developed uh, really does um, promote these. You see them come up for a few games. You know, go to it's more like a like a baseball type says, or even a hockey, uh, where these guys come up and, and play for a little bit here and there, as opposed to um, the old system that uh, that I grew up with, where, where the NBA really was its own thing, and you had these independent minor leagues. It's kind of a rather new thing, maybe in the last five, ten years. They built up the G League. It used to be called the D League. 
as a true minor league, and they've brought in new rules to allow players to move up and down. These two-way contracts have only been around for a couple of years. In fact, I think Jalen Adams might have been one of the first players to ever sign a two-year contract with the Hawks a few years back. And for Jordan Wara, what it allows them to do is when the Bucks have maybe some injuries or they need him in the rotation, they can use him. And when they don't, he doesn't just languish on the bench doing nothing. They can send him down to their G League team and he can get minutes and get shots and get rhythm and development that isn't available in the middle of an NBA season when they're not practicing a lot and they're traveling, especially now with everything that's going on. I don't think you'll see quite as much player development in season within the NBA club until things get calmer with all the surrounding circumstances. I know that a few years ago, the, uh, the Pagulas, or at least they had people within their organization, Russ Brandon in particular, uh, who were interested in the concept of a G league team, probably not in Buffalo, but in Rochester, because Rochester has some NBA history long ago, but that Rochester's kind of the, a, a G League type town. You know, it's uh, a, a smaller market uh, and they wouldn't have to worry about competing uh, with the Sabres or what have you. And anyways, I've always thought that that was, uh, it would be a pretty cool thing for Western New York if, uh, if a G League team would, would be able to take hold in a, in a market like Rochester. Um, Rochester are, would make more sense. And another market that it doesn't have the facility right now, but if they did build a small arena in Niagara Falls, Niagara Falls could be a place for a G League team. But the opportunities aren't there like they used to be maybe when Russ Brandon was looking into that. I think at one point there were 18 D League Yeah, we're talking four or five teams. years ago. Yeah, and now it's closer to 30. So they were looking for new cities to be affiliates for teams. And now like Toronto owns their own team in Canada and uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers have an affiliate in Erie, PA. Erie PA is kind of like the ideal G League market. It's a smaller city. It doesn't have Division I sports, you know, and it's close to an NBA city. I don't think Buffalo would ever get a G League team unless the G League really changed their strategy right. uh, completely. But Rochester, maybe, and Niagara Falls, if they had the facility, which they don't and probably never will, and maybe even Niagara Falls, Canada could be something. But I wouldn't anticipate that happening with any of those cities really anytime soon. Jonah, while we're on college sports here, or Matt, maybe you have some thoughts on Kent State at UB. UB, by the way, for those who are interested in such things, a seven-and-a-half-point favorite over the Golden Flashes, the last team to beat UB. So a little bit of intrigue there in the, in the sense that, um, you know, this is no pushover opponent like Kent State has always been since, well, I mean, they've had their years here and there. Uh, but they usually, they might come up for air and have a decent season back when Dre Archer was playing for them. But um, historically, just a, a, a free win on, on most teams' schedules. Well, they're leading the country in scoring right now. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to even think, uh, as somebody who's very familiar with, with Kent State football, that, uh, that such, a, such a sentence could be uttered. Yeah, but they have a coach, second-year coach, Sean Lewis, who's considered a real hot name. And he's only 34 years old, and he's done a good job there and probably a guy who's going to be moving on to a higher level at some point. I don't know if it'll be after this season, but at some point. And it's like how Mac football is now, where teams that score the most points tend to be the best teams. It's not a real defensive league, 
UB has gone a little bit against the grain. They have a good defense. They are relying on their running game more than the passing game on offense. And that sort of worked for them maybe being the bullies in the league. But now we'll see their defense has been missing five or six guys at the end of the last game from either injuries or possible illnesses. They don't really tell us exactly what's going on anymore. And if they don't have half of their defensive starters for this game against one of the best offensive teams in the MAC, that could be a little bit problematic. But UB was better than Kent State last year. They lost that game on some flukes at the end. They've been better in the week since. They definitely should win this game, favored by a touchdown at home. I think unless they play poorly and make the mistakes that they did last year, I think they will get to 4-0 and and be a win away from clinching the division then. Over-under is 67.5 in this game. So nice uh, Friday afternoon action if that over uh, – 67.5. It's a large yeah, well, number. You you take State, the over, though. They're, these two teams score. 52. UB is averaging like 44, 45. And UB has been good on defense, but has some defensive injuries that, you know, might be a factor. So, yeah, I think I would take the over on that as well. Chance for overtime? I mean, there's always a chance for overtime. I don't like UB. Like, UB didn't cover the over against Miami a couple weeks ago because I think when UB controls the game, they control the clock and they keep the other team from scoring and then they take their foot off the gas a little bit in the fourth quarter. So they don't cover big spreads and overs when they're really have an opponent that's overmatched. But in a game where Kent State's going to move the ball and score some points and UB is going to do the same, I think, I think you'll see some big-time action. Always good to talk local uh, college sports. Good for the soul. Feels good. Feels good. Feels comprehensive before we get into our Bills talk. Uh, here with uh, Gerald Dixon and Joel Staniszewski. So, well, maybe um, we can talk to Gerald about some UB football players and their NFL prospects. We'll ask him. We'll see what he has to say. Um, obviously, you're going to want to talk about Jarrett Patterson, Kevin Marks. Um, there was a player who was just uh, invited to the Senior Bowl. That's yeah, pretty rare for a UB player, isn't it? It is. I, I think he's only the third one. You know, Anthony Johnson was invited to the Senior Bowl as a senior. Tyree Jackson ended up playing in the Senior Bowl. He was a junior that declared. I believe those are the only players. Did Might Khalil Mack play in a, any of these senior all-star games? You know, he did, but I don't think he went to the Senior Bowl because sometimes the really good prospects don't play in the Senior Bowl. Yeah, I would have thought he would have skipped it. He probably got invited. Yeah, um, maybe that was it. I, I don't know that for sure. You know, they have all the pictures hanging on the wall. And I don't remember seeing Khalil Mack, but yeah, there's there's been some some UB players that get there. But um, I know this when when they announced Coons, he's the third player to get invited to the Senior Bowl. I what I don't know is if that includes Tyree Jackson or if there's three seniors that went plus Tyree Jackson. Khalil did get invited. He passed. Yeah, um, wisely. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's this thought that oh, he's a small school guy that's going to impact him, and then I'm sure. Um, they saw him show up in Indianapolis and were like, oh, yeah, this guy's, this guy's it. I'm sure UB would have liked for him to have played in that game just sure. for, because, it's, because it is rare. But He yeah, got them enough yeah. free publicity. In but the, in uh, retrospect, I mean, anything, I mean, Khalil Mack is, is fine. The fact that Khalil Mack has gone to the NFL and does what he does is fine for recruiting. You, don't, you didn't need the, uh, you know, the week or, or the story that would run in the Buffalo News, you know, the, the – 
the 18 inch story that would have ran that said, wow, UB sends player to senior bowl. I don't think really would have resonated uh, with, <laughs> with everything Khalil Mack's done in his career. Um, all right, boys, uh, let's get to uh, Gerald Dixon and uh, I'll see if I can get him on the horn and uh, talk some, well, we'll see what we talk about. We talk about all kinds of things. We'll wing it. Thanks for listening to the Tim Graham show. Oh, we'll talk Turkey. We will talk Turkey, uh, regardless of uh, the topic. We all, uh, Turkey in general. I feel uh, like talking Turkey, that's going to be your little tagline on the podcast and the YouTube video. Yeah, that's right. That's what I'll put on there. And uh, I'm sure nobody else has done that this week. Is it talking Turkey or Turkey's talking? Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> One thing I do want to say, and I want to remind everybody out there, is that Tim Graham is brought to you by Shampo Travis Bison Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst, New York. And CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client. So for assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions, CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, I said that kind of fast. Let me slow it down. Again, that's 716-630-2400. CTBK, over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. And uh, with that, let's bring in Gerald Dixon. Thanks for uh, thanks for doing this again, especially on a holiday weekend. And uh, bills are coming off a buy. Um, interesting situation last week with all the rest of the AFC East losing. Most importantly, the Miami Dolphins. Uh, what would be your take on this division uh, now that we have six games left for everybody? Well, when you look at it, you got to say who's playing the best at the quarterback position, the most important position in the NFL, right? So we all look at it. We have to say Josh Allen uh, in Miami. Uh, the starter got pulled last week. It was an injury. It was a performance-based deal. Um, so regardless of how you look at it, it's up in the air. I don't know many teams that pull their starters if they're struggling, especially if you're a rookie. Let that rookie go through and, and figure himself out. That's the only way that you get better. You never get better on the sideline holding a clipboard unless you want him to be a professional clipboard holder in the back of quarterback for the rest of his life. Um, with the Jets, we don't know what's going on there, right? If they're playing for something else or uh, the young fella, Darnold, is truly hurt. And then in New England, is Cam even over the um, COVID factor or what are they doing? They don't have any weapons up there. So the Bills are in a bit, pretty good position with their quarterback and their play caller and their head coach. It's continuity and just all in all, the team coming back from, from last year, a lot of the same guys playing the same position with the addition of Steph Diggs say that they're in position to run away with this. They play well and stay healthy. The same year that the Bills drafted Josh Allen, the Jets thought that they had their future franchise quarterback in Sam Darnold. And I think that the – consensus would be that uh, Trevor Lawrence would be the number one overall pick. The Jets currently winless, so they have a lock on that. Well, 
I don't want to say they have a lock on it. Uh, there are some other teams that I guess could slide in underneath the Jets if for some reason the Jets get hot, but they just look like such a mess that uh, they project clearly to have the number one pick. What do you think the philosophy is in the NFL these days for giving that early first round pick or that uh, quarterback that you drafted uh, enough room? It seems as though the page gets turned on those guys a lot quicker than it used to. And I guess just how you think that the, uh, the Jets in their given situation would or should proceed in kicking aside a young quarterback pretty early for somebody else. Well, when you look at it, you can only say there's only one true team that's done that, right, out in Arizona. Uh, pick the quarterback in the top ten. year after, they go out and get the number one pick. Uh, and he's doing fairly well. So, if you, in my opinion, if you have a, if you have your guy in the draft and you say you that he is the guy and he's a best player that's going to make your franchise that much better and the player in your building isn't living up to his hype or his draft building you move on from him and and get better I don't I don't believe in kicking around tires if they can't really roll down the hill properly do you think that what the Cardinals did with Kyler Murray uh, after uh, Josh Rosen uh, do you think that that should be an outlier like on very unusual circumstances or do you think that in let's say 10 10 of those situations that that should be done a majority of the time. It's kind of a weird way for me to ask this question of whether you see what the Cardinals did trending more towards how teams will think moving forward versus whether that was just a a special circumstance. Well, the NFL is a copycat league. One team doesn't and they have pretty much uh, have the success with it. The success rate that the Cardinals have right now with it you're going to see a lot more teams do it because there's not truly a slap on your wrist for choosing a, a quarterback in the top 10 anymore and, and failing. I don't believe execs get looked at poorly for doing so. And contracts don't necessarily mean you get really beaten up over the head on the cap issue. You get away with it with the new CBA that was um, agreed upon a few years back. So you can do that. And in my opinion, if, if the owner – or the owners give you that um, ability to do that, pick two top ten quarterbacks within your four-year, five-year contract, do so. You're trying to stay in the, um, the NFL with the job. So if you find that franchise quarterback in the draft, go get him. And if it's time to move on, move on from the other guy. Gerald, I don't know what you just did there, but from a technical standpoint, your mic just got a lot clearer. Uh, almost like out of nowhere. So whatever you're doing there, let keep keep that up. That was just uh, you were fine, and then it just got crystal clear. I don't know if there was something. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what, but maybe it's a fried turkey that I had yesterday. Still going. You fried it. You put it in the. You put it in the the deep fryer. Yeah, peanut oil. All right. So tell us about that because I saw all the videos going around from all the different fire departments saying, uh, "Be careful, you don't burn your house down." Uh, when you put you when you put the turkey in the deep fryer, well, most I think issues with the turkey being blown up and getting caught on fires. I don't know if people let it unthaw. All right, so I took it out, let it get unthaw, injected with some nice seasoning. I can't give away my recipe, but nice buttery seasoned well. Does might it have, come from the island? It might have a little bit of Jamaican spice, and I am Jamaican. Okay, my dad is a chef, so. Took it out, 
um, marinated it for 48 hours, dried it out yesterday for a few hours. Uh, got the peanut oil right about 350 because if you put anything in um, hot oil, the temperature is going to fall about 25 degrees. So you want to get it about 325. Um, got it to 325, three pounds, um, three minutes per pound. So that's right about what between 48 and 56 minutes. Test it out, get to about 160, pull it out, let the rest happen to get to 165, and comes out moist, crispy, and real tasty. That was a scientific equation you just gave us. That wasn't a cooking recipe. That was pretty impressive. <laughs> I'm the worst cook in my family, man. I might be the best in a lot, in a lot of other people's family. Sorry, I, I digress there off our quarterback conversation, but I had to know. I've never had a deep-fried turkey. Man, you don't know what you're missing out on. You won't you put know, it back. I'm sure it's great because my favorite part of the turkey is the skin, and I have a feeling that the skin is uh, in a deep-fried turkey is pretty impressive. No doubt about it. You just deep fry or do you smoke it as well? No, I just deep fry. Um, I haven't done the smoke um, deal, but Jim Monis um, called me um, this morning and said his first smoked turkey turned out amazing. It's in a hit. So we'll have to go at it next year um, head to head and see who wins this battle. We did steaks at the Graham household. We did. Uh, we went a little unorthodox since we were home and we didn't have any family members gathering with us that have their expectations of what they need to have on Thanksgiving. We just decided we, uh, we, we, we ordered, we went, uh, just went to the grocery store and uh, got what we wanted. So we did steaks and I don't miss Turkey. I do think Turkey is a bit overrated. It is as something, it's like a comfort food that you just need to have on Thanksgiving, but I missed my skin. I missed my Turkey skin. I'm the guys in the kitchen picking at the Turkey all day, uh, before it gets served and, but nobody else eats that stuff. So, uh, I, I'm allowed. I give. I got free reign at my, free reign at my mom's house. Find a man, man. All right. Well, it, mail me some, would you? Mail me some turkey skin. We'll just put it in an envelope. I don't care. Did you have sides or just steak and like normal steak sides, or did you have other Thanksgiving sides? We had sides, but I would say that they were would be well, you know, potatoes are pretty pretty universal. Uh, my wife made a carrot and uh, really neat dish. It was carrots and uh, had cranberries in it. Mm. Uh, and it was the, but it was the oil and everything that she, she fried them up in that. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know if this thing has a name um, that we had shrimp cocktail. Um, but yeah, we the didn't have stuffing. We didn't have, <laughs> we didn't have sweet potatoes. We didn't have, yeah, all this uh, green bean casserole. All those things. Turf, thanks. Giving. Yeah, we no did. stuffing, no stuffing, no. Yeah. And you no, but pies, and... four different pies though, four different pies. That was impressive. So Matt, how about you? How did you get down with um, Thanksgiving? We kind of had, you know, the usual. Um, uh, my mother-in-law cooked the turkey, and you know, some of the sides. We had a real small group get together, so we kind of all chipped in and um, did the usual stuff. Had, my wife made a couple pies that turned out really good, but yeah, we were by the book compared, especially compared to the Grams over there. They were they went off the reservation. All right, have, Jonah, we're taking we're taking inventory here. Give me the bronze. I, mean, I had a normal Thanksgiving dinner. My mother made it. She normally doesn't make the Thanksgiving food on Thanksgiving, so that was a good job by her. But I did actually mention at the dinner. I was like, we don't need to eat turkey. We don't need to eat stuffing and all these things on Thanksgiving we could have had whatever we wanted. We could have had a 
Graham family Thanksgiving with, you know, cereal and potatoes. <laughs> See, I've, I'm of the opinion that you should, that yes, you're right, Tim, it, you know, and Jonah, that we don't need to have these foods on Thanksgiving, but perhaps we also don't just need to have them on Thanksgiving. Like we could have them more often. Some of these foods are very good and we shouldn't limit our, like stuffing you basically eat once a year. It's delicious. Why don't we have that more often? I get a Thanksgiving dinner from Boston Market. I used to get it more, but three or four times a year, maybe. Sometimes you're craving it. Curry's, this isn't a, an ad read, but Curry's on uh, <laughs> uh, Kenmore Avenue, they have a Thanksgiving dinner every Wednesday that's very popular. So I hear everyone tossing around this stuffing word. <laughs> you're dressing. Yeah, it's like, it's well, one's in the bird, one's out of the bird, right? That's I like right. it better when it's in the bird. It was. It always had the same name when I was growing up, but as I moved out of New England and expanded my horizons, I realized it had two different names. But I prefer it in the in the bird. Now I'm curious because I love this restaurant, but you would have to really sell a lot of people on it uh, to to bring home the Popeyes Cajun rotisserie chicken. It's a full bird or turkey. It's a and you you but. You can't sell that to a family. But anyway, I want to see. That's what, what Rex used to do. The Popeye's turkey. Rex told us on Thanksgiving one year that he does Popeye's. Does the whole. got to be great. The it's whole shebang. He Everything said Popeye's a, does is great. A tradition in the in the Ryan household. The first person I heard about um, that told me about this Cajun um, turkey is Jerry Hughes. And he swears by it. He, he won't go anywhere else on Thanksgiving and grab that turkey. You could just bring it home and put it in your roasting pan and show it to people. Just make sure nobody's over yet uh, and sees the Popeye's bags and see what they think. And then you get a, a real reaction. Right. Because you're right, well Tim. Go ahead It'd be a hard the, sell. The, get uh, the potato wedges and the red beans and rice and all that stuff, too, while you're there. The coleslaw and just... Look at you. Nobody would know. I like it. Collard greens. That's Isn't that a... Do they sell that at Popeye's? Well, maybe not, but wouldn't that fit the theme? Yeah, I, I wouldn't do the collard green deal. Some cornbread, maybe. Cornbread, I feel like, should be introduced into the the Thanksgiving rotation. My what personal did, opinion. That was a Graham family thing. It was my dad. That was my dad's thing. He loved cornbread, so we always had cornbread on Thanksgiving. And, and mac Christmas. and cheese. Mac and cheese should be at more Thanksgiving. Oh, athletics. we had mac and cheese yesterday. We did have that. For the sides, we had macaroni and cheese. Cabbage for the veg, fried cabbage, um, Jamaican style with a lot of seasoning. Uh, my wife cabbage made, is that like a coleslaw type thing? With what we would know as coleslaw? Yeah, coleslaw is not cooked. Cabbage is cooked, right? Got it. Um, and without the the all the the mayonnaise and all the other stuff that goes on the coleslaw, uh, I just have green peppers, onions, carrots, um, simmer down uh, with some seasoning in there. Um, reduced down to almost, uh, it's not fried, it's more and more sautéed. My wife does cornbread and also cornbread dressing, which she did cornbread dressing with Cajun style. Add a little bit of um, Cajun seasoning, which turned out outstanding. Then we did also a ham for the for the kids and my wife. I'm the only one in the house that don't eat pork, so they had at it. Just like Jonah's house. There you go. <laughs> but the, my, my macaroni we eat pork. is good, though. Um, <laughs> I gotta drop it I've off. seen it. I got to drop off a macaroni and cheese tea. All right. All right. Sign me up. 
What yeah. was it we were going to, we'll bring you, we'll do this. We'll do a trade-off like a, like a hostage swap. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll meet somewhere in the center of town. You bring us, uh, the, what, what was it that you, I'd like to try this cabbage dish too. Uh, the cabbage and the cornbread stuffing, and I'll bring you some Elmo's wings and we'll have a trade-off. Potluck picnic. Yeah. We should just have a big potluck when the pandemic's over big Tim Graham and friends potluck. We're at Lafayette Park. Yeah. Once a bundle up. Nice. We'll all get a vaccine and we'll go, you know, Uncle Sam will give us the vaccine and then everybody else just bring a dish. You guys, okay. you guys can raise your hands on a count of three. Who's going to get that vaccine first? I'm going to be the last so you guys all can win. Yeah. Sign me up. I'll take it. Hey, man. I'll wait my turn because I know oh, yeah, I'll wait my turn more than me. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm okay with letting to seeing what happens. <laughs> well, we're not going to be first. Uh, you know, we're That's not, right. we're not going to be so first like, anyway. I'm not going to be like first in line, but once it's available to me, like, yeah, I'll probably get it. It's like these PlayStation fives I've been trying to get. I, you also, you always hear that there are bugs in the, uh, in the first few off the assembly line. So yes, I want the PlayStation five, but it's also not busting me up that I'm not getting one of the first ones. I'll, if I have to wait a little while, I'll, I'll know that they, they worked out all the, all the, uh, the, well, the Xbox has been like lighting on fire, hasn't it? The, uh, oh, has it? The new Xbox. I saw somebody <laughs> post a video where it was like smoking, but you don't, you don't know, like it's the internet. Who knows? Somebody could have just been playing a trick, but that's what happened with the Xbox a couple go arounds ago, right? It was yes, red ring of death and, and all that stuff. I had a couple of those in my it time. It would be so. smoking like the Dixon family turkey. <laughs> exactly. The Monus family turkey. Monus. <laughs> yeah. Right, I mean, all right. So, I've never That's, owned a video game system, fellas. I what's that? I've never owned a video game system. Well, that speak, that's why you have excelled at life, and the, <laughs> the, other, four, the, the other three of us on this call haven't. Well, um, I, I don't want to say I've never owned one because I had one when I was a kid, but I've never owned one as an adult. Wow. And I used to think that was kind of weird, but now eSports has gotten so huge that I feel like I need to buy all the systems and learn all the uh, intricacies <laughs> of this new national sport we have. Oh, buy a drone while you're at it. Grew up in a house with all girls. No video game systems for old Gerald. So, so what'd you get, Barbies? I do not braid hair. Yeah, I do. Oh. What about in college? Didn't get into it in college either. Yeah. Oh, okay. Social life. What were your years in college? Ninety-nine through 02. Ninety-nine through 02. So that would have been what system? Sega. And 64, right? Around that time. Well, it was kind of a dead time for video games. It was before the PlayStation became kind of revitalized. I don't know. PlayStation 2, yeah. the original Xbox, I think. There was yeah. Nintendo okay. 64. NFL like, Blitz, yeah. probably. Yeah, I just didn't get into it. Everybody it was knew. fun to be had, but Gerald was too busy working on his game. And he was doing real doing things, things with his life. He was doing admirable <laughs> The rest of us were wasting time. He was... Doing real things with his life. All my, all my um, several of my roommates. Um, I had a I had a different roommate almost every year. Why? What was uh, your What was wrong with you? Exactly, it was my problem. <laughs> I'm not a neat freak, but the house should not be messy, and a lot of those guys didn't like cleaning up after themselves, so we had issues. You ran them off? Oh yeah, and most of them are still my good friends now, but that just it couldn't happen. I just used to take their stuff. In the in the in the in the living room, and just put it right in front of their door, and just pile it up right there. Can, can I tell a quick funny story about my college roommate freshman year? Sure. 
All right, so I move in, you know, whatever, move in day, the last day of August or whatever it is. He had already been there for a couple of weeks because he was on the football team. So anyways, I come in. He's kind of a taller white guy from Salamanca, shaved head. Got another friend on his team comes in. And I didn't know they were football players yet, shaved head. Another guy comes in, shaved head. And I'm like getting really weird out. I almost call home. I'd be like, ah, oh, I got stuck with this, uh, you know, skinhead white supremacist roommate. He's got all these skinhead friends. What's going on? College is getting real. And it <laughs> took me until like the next day to realize they were football players and they all had to shave their head for, you know, hazing, being freshmen yep. and everything. It took me about 24 hours to figure that out. But I was freaked out for that 23 hours before I got it. Yeah, that, that was that was a freshman thing back then. I don't, now I see guys running around with a bunch of hair, but back at um in Bama, freshman. I don't care who you are, getting chopped off. I had dreads going in, braids, cleaned up, looked like a young man. First picture, you got to look like a young guy. Everything did that I- save you? Well, I don't want to say it because I don't want to cast a negative dispersion on it. But did that cure you from dreads for the rest of your life? Because it takes so long to grow them out that once they're gone, was that like, well, shit. That's that. Absolutely not. I grew them back. Oh, okay. I had braids almost every year. I had to grow it off and cut it off whenever I felt like it. My granduncle um, is, a, is a dread. I got dreads in my family. It's a Rastafarians are um, somewhat, uh, it's a culture of deal in um, Jamaica. Tell us this, since we're so far off the subject, it doesn't matter. Uh, let's, we're having fun here. And this is what Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK is all about. This is what CTBK pays us to do, in fact. Um, these dreadlocks, well, not, not the dreadlocks, but the, the Rastafari and, uh, tell me what is it that is genuine versus what Americans have just come to be the stereotype and things that, that there are, you know, I think every college kid goes through a Bob Marley phase, right? Um, and they pick up all these different things that they think what, uh, you know, Jamaica's all about, that they think that's a, it's a lifestyle or, a vibe. What is it that's true versus, uh, and what do we get wrong? Well, you know what? I can't tell you what you get, what people are getting wrong. I mean, you probably see it in popular culture though. Maybe you're watching TV and you see people thinking they're, they're vibing with, uh, with, with Rastafari culture or whatever, and they probably have no clue. Well, it's a, it's truly a way of life, right? It's just like any other um, religious belief. Once you go in, it's, you're all the way in. It's just not the hair and the other fun parts that come into it. Um, it's the way you eat, the way you um, view life. Um, and most of the time, I think people just do it just because it's a fashionable thing and, it, and, it's, a, and it's a cool thing. To yeah, do. that's what I mean. That's what I mean. I think people, it looks fun or it looks cool to say that I'm different and they, they don't really pick up. You know, they're doing it on a superficial basis so they can smoke weed. <laughs> I would tell anybody that, that if, if that's what you want to do, you go you go to the whole process and you study it and you learn the um, facts and you learn the truth about who the, uh, the Rastas are and what they stand for and what they believe in. And then you can truly find yourself. Um, for me, it wasn't really – for me, it was just a, a fashionable thing and I just wanted to do it. Uh, uh, my granduncle, like I said – was a dread. I got several other family members that are dreads, but I wasn't all the way into it. Um, it's like most of the people that typically grow their hair out. But for Jamaicans, we're proud, right? So we, when we see uh, people with dreads and want to proclaim themselves as rosters, we look at it as a, a compliment. Um, 
because it's it's paying homage to um, some some the the cultural things of our country. So it's not an insult then to see people no, absolutely not we, like, it, it, it's, picking it's and choosing some of the things. Right, it's hard to piss a Jamaican off. We're so cool and so just everything is Irish, no problem, right? So we celebrate it. We'll educate you when you come on down. All right, I've been, I've been, I enjoyed it. During the NHL lockout of uh, whatever that was, 0506, no, 0405, I had a winter off where I could get escape Buffalo for a change, and uh, my wife and I went down to Jamaica and it was uh, loved it, loved it, had a great time. Yeah, you know, I got married in Jamaica. How and often do you go back? How often do I go back? Not as often as I should. The last time I went back was, uh, let me see. 2000 not when i got married 2010 so i haven't been back in a long time so they, i'm the i'm the one that out the whole entire family that go down the least of everybody because i left earlier than than most so playing football uh meeting new friends and just never really having a summer off for the most part uh, i just never went back that often but i still love my people down there how much family is left down there for you out of my immediate family, uh, it's only my niece, my oldest niece, Roxanne, that's in my parents' house right now. So all of my brothers, nieces, and nephews, um, a few of my uncles are in the United States. And that all started with my dad. Gerald, I guess uh, we'll get back to football before we let you go. I don't. Uh, you know, oh, yeah, we're good. And we've, we've, I don't want to take up your entire afternoon here. Oh, it's Christmas time. It's Christmas. Um, Decorations are getting put up in the Dixon house today. Wife oh, so are you avoiding that or you need to get back to it? No, I did. I took care of that earlier. Took all the heavy stuff upstairs. They're laying it all out. I, I don't do the designing. I just do all the, the heavy grunt work. Yeah, and that's same here. Uh, so uh, Bill's coming off a bye. Uh, what um, game against the Chargers, against your buddy, Anthony Lynn? I know you're, uh, you're a big fan yeah. of his. Um, what are your thoughts on this game? You know what? I think the Bills should handle these guys fairly, um, not easily because it's an NFL team, but if you want to put yourself in that conversation of being one of the top three teams in the AFC, you want to go out and you want to put a stamp on this. Coming off a bye, most teams coming off a bye, more fresh, healthier, um, they should have a different um, game plan. They should have something new. They should have a new wrinkle, something that the Chargers have not seen that they can't prepare for. And that's what you use the bye week for. Have something new either defensively, offensively, and also special team. So the next opponent has to be prepared for that. What do you so, think of uh, the quarterback that that the Chargers have, Justin Herbert? We we touched on it a little bit um, a few weeks ago. Uh, you know, talking about the job that Anthony Lynn has done. You know, getting him to play as well as he has. But we've also seen Sean McDermott's defense confuse some young quarterbacks before. So, what do you think of that matchup? What, how do you think Herbert w will look this weekend? Well, you know, the quarterback coach out there is Pat Hamilton, which I think um, is one of the better ones. I don't think a lot of people give him enough credit for the development of Andrew Luck. Um, after he left Andrew from um, Indy, I don't think Andrew's career was, was the same. Right? So 
So he's a, he's he, I won't say he's a quarterback whisperer, but he understands and he's a very good teacher of that quarterback position, developmental wise, from the, the from the from the waist up, waist down, from the shoulders up. He gets those guys prepared um, in a way that you don't see a lot of NFL quarterback coaches um, do. And he also understands how to convey the information, and he doesn't. He's not going to have a lot of guys that have this computer overload because he he understands how to teach it and teaches in steps so so the quarterbacks can understand it and go out there and do their job now getting back to the question of uh leslie frazier and sean mcdermott's defense confusing quarterbacks um i think they're going to have some it's 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 tough for young guys to go in especially on third down for for that defense because they give you that double a gap mug and they can fall out into either zero coverage quarter quarter half or they can just give you a simple drop eight or it's a cover three concept and depending on if you don't read it fast enough you might get hit in your mouth a la what aj klein did to russell wilson off the edge so if they can run the ball and get to a third and manageable or short passes and get the third down and three, third down and four, and stay away from the third and six plus, I think the quarterback's going to have a better day. But if they get into a third and long situations, then that's when Leslie and Coach uh, McDermott starts rolling the dice and bringing out that new pack, bringing out that look that confuses a lot of um, NFL quarterbacks. What are your thoughts on the Chargers defensively going up against? Um going up against the Bills offense. I guess some changes. We know that uh, Mitch Morse is going to be back at center and uh, John Brown is not going to play. Uh, so, I don't know. Can you give us, uh, give us an, a quick and – would be a quick and dirty analysis on uh, what the Chargers uh, would look like against the Bills offense? And I think – Vice versa. Casey Hayward's also going to be out as well, or is, he, is it still up in the air? Well, we don't uh, – the Chargers, because they're out there on the West Coast, I don't think we know their injury report yet. This is being uh, recorded at 2.30 p.m. Eastern on, uh, on Friday. So I don't think we know yet. But correct – I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys, if you happen to know. I don't think it's out just yet. Yeah. Um, so if we go into it saying that Casey plays. Either way, um, Gus Bradley's cover three base defense, uh, it struggled all year in terms of – a, he's giving up passing yards. And the crazy thing is the NFL is a copycat league. And not to jump off subject and, and, and give you the preview of what I think is going to happen. but Jumping off subjects, what we do best on this show, I think. A couple of, couple of issues that I have um, when I look at a lot of film over the years of uh, just the NFL. If you rewind the clock back when Tampa was doing – fairly well when they were running Tampa 2. You saw everybody else now want to go to Tampa 2, right? Then you, you come out, flip the story a few years, and you see the Seattle Seahawks doing fairly well with the cover three concept with Legion of Boom, um, Legion of Doom, whatever they want to call themselves. But they had players, and it was easy for those guys to operate within that defense. You had corners outside that can – that weren't fast, but they were tall guys that you forced th um, throws over the top of their heads, which was difficult. If you threw down the middle of the field, you knew you had Earl Thomas in there to pick it off, playing that post position. And then you had to enforce the Cam Chancellor um, coming down 
and putting that hat on people. And a lot of guys didn't want to want to get that. So now you start having success and you start taking that defense along the ways with you everywhere they go. So they took it down to Atlanta, failed miserably, right? Um, Ken Norton's trying to run again in Seattle, failed miserably, my opinion. Um, and now you have Gus Bradley and there for the Chargers. And if you don't have the right pieces to operate this defense, it's not going to look the same. You're not going to have the same results. So just like Seattle's defense, when, when Josh came in there and he was just, and he knew what you were in, cover three, he just sat there and picked, and picked you apart. So if those guys on the edge can't apply pressure out of a four-down concept and they have to blitz, it's going to be a lot of yards being thrown for, um, in my opinion. If the weather's good and, and those guys are catching the ball and Josh is on his B game, I think he can put up easily 300 yards, um, three touchdowns. And I'm not going to say they're going to run away with it, but if you beat a team with double digits, um, that's pretty much handling a, a team in the NFL. How do you think the Bills will be able to run the ball if they get into a spot where, where they need to do it? They've, we've talked a lot about how, how much they've struggled there and, and what some of the problems are, but looks like this Chargers defense might be um, kind of just what the doctor ordered. Well, like I've always said, it, just like the passing game, the run game, you, you still have to be creative. Because um, it's, it's, it's hard just to line up and to say, if you're not just flat out better than everybody, I'm running the ball right here. So, you know, with zone reads, um, with gap schemes, um, pulls, just be more creative within the run game to create more chunk yards. And at some point, just sticking with it. Because when you run the ball, it's you're just trying to, overpower and just dominate and just over a period of time just wear people down and if you're running the ball you know four times this quarter then you come back two quarters later i mean the, the next half and you run it four more times those guys up front aren't getting in rhythm and your running backs not getting lathered up and those guys up front not leaning on um the defensive lineman so all in all when you run the ball you have to stick with it um wear those guys down and I'm pretty sure that if you go back and watch them, you can run this ball downhill at this Chargers defense. You just don't want to go side to side because those guys can run you down and get you. But going downhill with, with, with Moss and, and Motor, um, I think you get some, some good chunk yards. And also Josh pulling it every now and then just to keep those outside guys honest. We were talking before we came on uh, regarding uh, UB's Jarrett Patterson, and uh, you mentioned that he reminds you a little bit of Devin Singletary. What um, I know that uh, Jonah's uh, been been asking you to uh, take a look at this guy, so maybe I'll let Jonah ask the questions here then. Um, but uh, it was it sounded like a good segue to me. Go ahead, Jonah. Well, I'm just curious if you've gotten to see University of Buffalo games that they played recently. What you thought about Jarrett Patterson? His brother, James Patterson, at linebacker, Kevin Marks, another running back, if you've, you know, noticed much about these guys in their games recently. Yeah, so let's let's start off with um with the first one. Which one do you want to talk about first? Which guy? Jared Patterson, he, you know, he's up there with the, one of the national leaders in rushing, 300 yards in his last game. You know, what do you think about him as a potential pro running back? Right. Now, like I said, my comp for him was um, Devin Singletary. Um, just because of his elusiveness, how he can make defenders and unblocked defenders, like the eighth defender, miss in, in, in tight quarters. 
real good lateral quickness, um, good feel of running a football, finding creases, um, getting down. And for a small guy, um, you see him doing fairly well in the red zone and in short yardage situations of getting low, running with a low self, um, center of gravity. He's already, he's already a smaller uh, running back. But he has some, a little bit of power with him, and he doesn't take big hits. When I say he doesn't take big hits, he's not taking hits square on. So it's always he finds a way, just a little bit of knack of just finding a way to just get real small and get through those holes and, um, and get extra yardage. But did you my, remember, did you get to scout Brandon Oliver at all, former Chargers uh, yeah. running back that came out of Buffalo? People compare – uh, Patterson Oliver, the running side, at least here at UB. Do you see a comp at all there? Or can, does Patterson do anything that might make him maybe more of a successful NFL player than Brandon Oliver was? Um, I don't know if you can the, – the only the, – here's a couple of things I would say that, that watching a film that I would want to see more of. And that's the same thing I said about Devin Singletary coming out, catching the football. Garrett uh, only caught the – only had 20 receptions over his entire career. I don't think I didn't see him catch a ball this year. Mm-hmm. And also for a smaller guy to stick in the NFL, what you have to do is be, be able to play on third down. And when I say play on third down, it's not only catching a ball, it's also being able to pass protect. And pass protect is a lot of knowledge of who you're responsible for and going up and squaring up and blocking those guys with a proper technique. And those are two areas that I would like to see um, Derek get better that get better at and improve in order for our, you to truly be a starting running back in the NFL or to stick when you are a smaller guy. Um, Gerald, what are the keys for that? Because that's something that, um, and I think it's probably has to do with what's in between your ears and a desire to want to do it. But I, I, it's always puzzling to me to see a running back who just can't do that. Or maybe it is because they don't want to do that. Uh, but it's such an important part of the game. And third down is the down that if you are a, a guy who really loves to be a playmaker and be on the field, to come off third down has to kill you at least a little bit inside as a running back. And so I always thought that the guy who doesn't seem to be able to stay on the field on third down, uh, it, anyway, it just didn't square. It doesn't square to me because um, that's the most important down in so many respects. Why, why is it some running backs just can't pick up that part of the game? So look at it like this. It, it, it's, it's a lot to do with want to, right? Um, and it's desire to do it. But if you go back and you look at most running backs, the, the number one thing that most running backs are thinking about is, oh, man, when I get the ball in my hands, this is what I'm going to do. But real good running backs understand when they don't have the ball in their hands, they're, that, they're also that much important to the offense in terms of being that quarterback's safety blanket on check downs, but also being the quarterback safety blanket and picking up the free runner, right? Some guys have the feel to do it um, regardless of size. Um, and some guys just need to spend more time to understand who they're responsible for and just keep tracking that guy. Um, when you watch film on a lot of young uh, running backs, you see them start, their eyes start just wandering. And they're responsible for the, the near side back, backer. And you'll see their eyes flash to the other side just because they just see a color flash across their face. So when you're, when you're blocking, 
and you're responsible for somebody. It's just the same as if you're playing man-to-man defense, if you're a defensive back. You keep your eyes on him until he disappears and gets out of your vision. And once he does that now, if you have different rules on now, checking and releasing, you can do so. But a lot of young running backs aren't that locked in on the importance of not having the ball in their hands and also making that a part of their games. You know, Jared Patterson has a twin brother, James Patterson, who plays linebacker for UB. Uh, you know, does that help Jared in any way, you think, maybe being so close with his brother? I don't know if you believe in that twin tuition kind of thing, but can he sort of see the field from the linebacker's perspective while he's running the ball because of having a brother who, who plays that position? You know what? I'm not – I don't know. I guess that's a question for him, not you. But uh, when I heard you thinking that, I thought, you know, I bet you it helps that he could maybe teleport into his brother's mind sometimes and play linebacker. Well, you know what? I I can't speak on that, but I can can tell you that (laughs) his brother James is is a a solid um, football player as well. Not as good on defense as his twin brother is on offense, but solid college football player. Uh, You'd like to see him uh, move better. Um. My issues with him is he's a good college linebacker in terms of if you run the ball from B-gap to B-gap, but once it starts getting wider and, and play starts going away from you can still you can see now his lack of range and his ability to run and play in space, which the NFL is now going to, right? The Brandon Spikes of the world, those linebackers are dinosaurs. And if you can't move and play in coverage and play in space – um, it's going to be hard for you to stick in the NFL because if if you're a space player, you can also play on special teams. Anybody else stand out to you when you've uh, been watching UB? There's some times that, um, like you said, that, that that other running back shows up, um, Jared. Um, he has a good Kevin Marks. He's yeah. he's taller. He's probably a better. He is a better receiver. He's probably a better blocker. I notice him blocking more on. He'll be the lead blocker for Patterson on some of his big runs sometimes when they're both on the field. You know, I think I'm not I don't have the scouting eye like you do, but I think he might have a little bit more NFL potential than Jared Patterson once he gets there. Listen, first of all, don't give me that much credit Two, you do have a good set of eyes because you're watching the same films I'm watching. And, um, and it's really just feel um, like I said a couple of weeks ago when we were, we we're just off um, camera, I said um, five out played 26 um, when they played against Miami, Ohio. Um, just Bigger, um, when he makes when he makes cuts, he gets downhill faster. Right? One of my issues also with Jared is he takes he gathers to cut, and when I watch running backs, I like to see running backs put one foot in the ground and get vertical, make violent cuts without slowing down. If you're making cuts and you're slowing down, now you're giving that defender uh, a chance now to run you down. But the real good running backs, the one cut runners. Like Dalvin Cook, you look at Dalvin Cook. When he makes that one cut, it's foot in the ground. If he's going right, right foot in the ground, left foot going vertical, and that burst of the hole um, gets him through. If you're now taking one, two, three, four steps together, that linebacker that's running you down gets that much of an opportunity and that much time to now get to you and tackle you. Because you, remember, when you have the ball in your hand, you have everybody else that's tracking you want to tackle you. So the faster you can get up in the hole in those small little creases, the, the better you are. And if you're in college and you're taking that extra step just to get to that hole in the NFL, that hole is closed up and it's going to be a tackle for a loss instead of a five or 10 yard game. One more guy, the outside linebacker, Malcolm Kuntz was invited to the senior bowl. 
I think he's only the third or fourth UB player to, to earn that invitation. Did you notice him at all? He, he's. Yeah. You know what? So I know a lot of, a lot of, when we hear about outside linebackers, um, especially UB, what's the name that pops up? Khalil Mack. Right. So he's not quite Khalil Mack, but I, I think he's, he, he'll be just fine. Um, a couple of things that I think he had when you go down to the senior bowl and if they do have a senior bowl, cause that's a big if, right. Um, cause the other ones are canceled. The East West got canceled. Um, I want to say and showed the shrine game. Right. Yeah. So the senior bowl is, is, uh, is a big if that's going to happen because there's so many things that you have to go through in order to play a game. I mean, look at the, the NFL. Everybody's so, coming from somewhere else. You know, the quarantine aspect of it, the testing, you know, it's, yeah, it's, you're asking for it. Right. So, and then all these guys want to be drafted and you don't want to have, uh, if you get COVID while you're at the senior bowl, that cuts into the training that you're doing, heading up to the combine. Um, who knows? It maybe limits you on the number of visits you can make, you know? So yeah, there's, you're taking a, but a guy, but a but a player from the University of Buffalo, maybe takes that chance. Oh, you're all in. You're you're, you're going down there to, to to prove yourself against everybody else. But I mean, that like you just said, there, there's a lot of ifs and a lot of um, variables that go into the, the game even being played. Because just think about it's expensive. it. Expensive. Expensive as heck. Just a test, and then you have every scout on every scouting. Um, um, department on every team in the NFL is going to want to be there. So everyone has to get tested because you're now interviewing the players. You're around the players. There's fans at practice. Um, you're down in near Mobile. You're in a community. It's I, I, I want to see how this gets pulled off, long story short. How is that going to affect teams going into the draft if there are none of these events? If there's no scouting combine, how are they going to replace that kind of information gathering? Uh, I mean, you got Zoom, right? The same way that we're communicating right now, I think would be a more efficient way of, of doing it. And I had a conversation. I forget who I was talking to. I think I was even talking to either. No, Mark Ross, Doug Whaley, and Jim Onis. We all get on. We all come up with these these ideas. And one of the, one of the ideas, not to jump off subject, is we were talking and we said, the training, the train, the train station at the combine. I don't think if you, anyone y'all familiar with it, where yeah. it's almost like yep. speed, it's the most chaotic place for a billion dollar company to sit down and interview young people for potentially um, life changing opportunities in terms of how much money that you're going to make playing in the NFL. Right. So you have all 32 teams trying to get. As many interview opportunities. So you're sitting there grabbing people. Hey, I need to talk to you. And it, and now you guys read a couple of stories a few years ago. There were fights down there, right? Brian Cox and and, and I was standing right there. Got into it. I'm not going to get into the whole um, how it happened, but yeah. But wherever Brian Cox is, there's going to be a fight. Listen, I was there. Every every story has three sides, right? Your side, my side, and the truth. I'll tell you the truth, but that's not what we're here for. So it wasn't just one guy. But that's not the only that's not the only situation like that that happens in there. It's 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 chaotic. If you're trying to get three guys or trying to get one guy, and you, myself, Jonah, uh, we're all pulling at the same guy. Hey, that's not the way to operate. And then you see 
adults sitting there arguing, cursing at each other. I mean, it, it's it's not ran as smoothly as it possibly could be ran. Now, if you have Zoom, right? Each player sit there in front of their computers, right? You have 32 teams. Each team gets 10 minutes to interview, right? You pick your time, pick your slot. Smoother process. You can sit there. Once that 10-minute clock runs out, hit the button, you're off. It's more efficient. You have guys with the same time. There's not uh, one team sitting there holding one um, player hostage so another team can't get um, the information that they need from the, 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 the that um, particular prospect. So there's ways that I think the way that the world's going right now that the NFL can be ran much smoother. And you, you guys don't want to hear my whole um, run on on how much time these prospects are are just sitting there and the NFL, I mean, teams just take up so much of their time in, in terms of workouts, interviews. Then you have another workout, then another interview. It's like after a certain time, it's when's, when's enough enough? And if everything can be on a time schedule, um, interviewing can be recorded and body types can be recorded. I don't necessarily feel like you have to sit in a room with a prospect and get all the information that you that you need from them, and then you are. Go, I mean, we, they didn't go out this year and see the prospect, but three years before, you you should have known who these guys are and have a good feel of who they are and what they're what they're going to do if you bring them to your particular team. You don't need to smell their breath. I don't think you need to spend five million hours with these guys. If you have instincts and you have the right people on the ground that's doing the the right footwork for you, um. As a decision maker, you got to trust that that the person that you've hired to do that job, that area scout, your national scout, your assistant general manager, um, um, one of the coaches that might know the other coach that's at that school, and you gather all that information to put it together. If you can't come to uh, a conclusion of who the player is, I don't know if two more hours of bringing them in and having dinner with them is going to separate that. My well and wait till owners see how much uh, how much money they save without all those shrimp cocktail expense reports from Indianapolis. You know, if, I, I don't know. Each team's probably going to save millions of dollars not sending guys uh, to the Senior Bowl, to the Combine, to all these pro days, uh, and to get to your point, like how much less information. Like even if you get ninety five percent of what you need without thousands of dollars in shrimp cocktail i feel like that's a pretty good uh and it's probably millions that they're saving overall they're still sending some scouts to games and stuff like that but i mean indianapolis might go out of business well yeah the indianapolis economy will take a hit kilroy's might go out of business or uh prime three one whatever it is uh three three two one whatever that restaurant is um there'll be some trouble that way but um yeah i think I've thought about it a while, even before all this happened of like, every time we would go to Indianapolis, like, man, look at all the money that gets wasted around here. And yeah, I guess it helps the Indianapolis economy, but um, for what they're getting out of it, it seems unproductive with the, uh, the prospects. Like you said, they're almost putting them through it for the sport of it, you know, waking them up at odd hours of the day to get the workout in and all this stuff that, and then you hear them all talk about, well, it's not that important. The on-field stuff doesn't matter, but they're doing it just to to screw with these guys. So, yeah, sa- save the money. Um, 
you know, save, save some scouts livers and, uh, and do it all on zoom. <laughs> becoming, I mean, the combine is becoming, uh, like one of the events, like the, the pro bowl. The Super bowl. It's like spring break. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, it's like a convention for yeah, guys to get together and get all the information that you need. But you and I, we, we can all, they can all sit down and have a zoom meeting with these guys, just like they did last year. And I'm pretty sure that the Cincinnati Bengals would have still drafted Joe Burrow. I'm still, I'm, I don't think the Redskins are pissed off on who they got. Detroit might be, um, uh, the Giants might be, <laughs> but the Chargers aren't, right? The Char- and the Dolphins are still, you know. Well, and go back to other drafts, right? Like how many teams <clears throat> had all that information and still screwed it up. So it's like, you know, it, it's, yeah, I, I think sometimes there's, you know, people paralyze themselves with all this analysis and don't know what they're doing, but there is a, a bonding experience that happens at the combine. I mean, Hey, the Combine's great for us um, as reporters to, to rub shoulders with, you know, important people in the league. So um, I certainly hope that the, the 2020 combine was not my final combine, but um, <laughs> I've thought, I've thought about the, the combine a lot because like two weeks later, the coronavirus, you know, became uh, not that it wasn't a serious threat to the United States in late February, but it became a bit more real for America in about mid-March. And I thought to myself, man, I was just in a convention hall indoors for seven days straight, um, you know, in these bars and restaurants and basically never going outside because in Indianapolis, you don't really need to go outside. And to Tim's point about the senior bowl, there was people from everywhere, every corner of the country, uh, thousands upon thousands of people that work in the NFL. Um, We'll never know the numbers, but, wonder how many people passed it around that that week you know I, I know one reporter who got sick after coming home from the combine and was convinced that they had an early infection i don't know if they ever got that confirmed but i know at least one person that thinks that's what happened there crazy all time. the more reason all the more reason to do it on the computer oh yeah my bloodstream at the uh, combine is uh how we say uh, how should we say uh antiseptic I think um, I like my chances of uh, now recovery time. You know, I may have, you know, I might go through some, some sort of changes when I get home, but it's probably not going to be a virus. <laughs> hey, uh, Gerald, I hate to uh, end this. Uh, I say prematurely because I know we can talk for a long time, but uh, Joel Staniszewski is coming on in two minutes. So we have to clear the path for Joel Staniszewski. Got to clear the and, path. Um, we, uh, we covered a lot of ground. We talked about uh, Jarrett Patterson and Kevin Marks. Uh, we talked about the Bills coming off their bye week and uh, needing to not necessarily make a statement. You know, that word gets thrown around too much. But like you say, good teams do well coming off a bye. They need to handle business. They should win this game. And um, – if they don't, then it's probably a, a, another of uh, another red flag that we we as Bills observers probably thought they they'd gotten past uh, for the past few weeks. They've been taking care of it. Even even losing at Arizona, I still I still like what I see out of the Bills more after that loss than going into that game. The fact that they lost doesn't matter to me, um, other than it it stinks for the the standings, but. 
Um, and then uh, Chargers Bills preview. So we covered a lot of ground, Gerald. Oh, and Rastafarian lifestyle, deep frying turkeys. Um, what didn't we cover? This is comprehensive. It was a big. It was a big show. We we covered it a lot. We covered everything. So Gerald, thank you, and uh, happy Thanksgiving. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Always. See All right. Thanks for joining us, man. Thank you for joining us on Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK. Gerald Dixon, climbing, climbing up the the F power rankings. I'm still at F. An F. And that's not a grade. You're Tim Graham and Friends. You're a friend of the show. So you keep climbing up there. You're a, you're a big F. I just want to get to the end. When I get to the end. One of the biggest Fs. <laughs> you're on the show. It's. Matthew, Jonah, and Gerald. There you go. All right, guys. Uh, Gerald, thanks again. Talk to you in a week. Thank you. The sounds of the end of everything means that Joel Staniszewski is joining us. Joel Staniszewski, of course, the lead singer of The End of Everything, and he uh, has given us that music uh, to bring us in and out of his segments here on Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK. Uh, Joel, how was, uh, how was the Thanksgiving? Pretty good. You know, a lot, of, uh, a lot of people in the neighborhoods complaining that they can't have a real Thanksgiving with their families and friends and other people just completely uh, taking whatever the governor tells us to do and doing the exact opposite. So we'll see what type of, uh, just like I'm sure in Western New York and many other cities and states, I guess we'll have to see what uh, COVID outbreaks we have due to uh, people having large gatherings. But I was fine with it. I was fine with just hanging out and taking it easy. Same here. Same here. No, uh, no problems low key in it for me. Uh, I had, it just reminds me, Las Vegas, my first uh, Thanksgiving out there, um, my college girlfriend, we were still together at the time, we moved out there together, and uh, her mother called out there to wish us a happy Thanksgiving, and uh, uh, I answered the phone, and so she said, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to call today, uh, do you guys uh, celebrate Thanksgiving out there? And I said, uh, we are in the United States. Yeah, what is this, Canada? So, uh, well, that's what I was dealing with, with the in-laws. That was like yesterday. Um, we had like a little Zoom call. My brother's out in LA and our family kind of, you know, all got on Zoom and somebody was asking my brother like, oh, you can you get a real Christmas tree out there? And, you know, same same thing. Like, oh, it was a, I think we had this conversation with Joel about the pumpkins, right? Pumpkins, yeah. Pump, you can get there's a pumpkin patch here. There's orchards. There's well, that's a little. There's no Christmas different. tree farms though. There's no Christmas I mean, tree farms, but they you get can't them get a Christmas tree. Like, you can. They get them like shipped in from like Oregon, I think, is where they all they all come from. My brother said LA, in I'm California sure they grow. Trees grow in California. Yeah, quite nicely apparently. Vegas is uh, you know desert, you know hard rock, uh, you know cement cement uh, ground. Um, Christmas cactus is always fun. Yeah, uh, get a Christmas cactus out there. Not like growing up in Sloan, though. Not like growing up in Sloan, where you had all the snow. Not like all the snow you wanted, the Christmas Sloan. trees, everything.
Yep. So Joel's joining us on the line from Vegas as he does uh, every week uh, to give us his thoughts about the Bills. Well, when they're playing, uh, we haven't uh, spoken to, uh, to Joel for a couple of weeks. So we needed uh, to go back a little ways to find out how his bets did uh, from the last time he was on. He gave some bonus picks, which hurt him a little bit. Uh, he, uh, he broke even. He went 2-2-1 two, two, and one, uh, with his bonus picks. But for the season, 13-6-2. Pretty good numbers. Pretty good numbers when you're going against the spread and doing totals. Yeah. I think Joel has made you some money if you've gone uh, if you've gone with Joel on every one of his picks. Uh, so, what are your thoughts here on Chargers at Bills? Uh, Bills opened as six point favorites uh, with a over under of fifty three points. Yeah, the number has come down uh, a little bit. Uh, down. Um, you saw it most of the week at at five and a half. Um, you might find it as low as four and a half now in some spots, uh, five and five and a half. No, uh, there's only one five and a half left in town. So, um, most of the places now are four and a half and five. So it's come down a bit. Um, I- I'm a little surprised that it came down a bit. The only thing I can think of would be, uh, people betting uh, on the chargers because of John Brown being out. Uh, not that he himself being out would move a line, but people might be betting it, uh, thinking they're getting the best of it. And I haven't seen an updated uh, practice uh, schedule or whatever from the Chargers about um, Austin Eckler playing this week. I know he hasn't played in a couple of weeks, uh, and he's a pretty big uh, uh, role player on their offense. So that could be a reason why people are betting the Chargers. Um, but I think that's a bad number. I really do. I understand that it's getting bet down, so it's it's a it must have been a, a, the right number to put up. But in in my mind, it's too low. Um, Chargers coming west to east, which always hurts a lot of teams with a lot of traveling, especially coming off of a couple of days off um, Thanksgiving. I'm sure no one practiced on that day. Traveling across the country, um, still with a rookie quarterback who's yet to win on the road. Um, I think that the Bills are, are the right play here this week. I wonder, too, and, you know, um, social media, I think maybe people jump or they're looking for any kind of edge and they'll jump on a bet or, or try to get in. And maybe I'm giving the NFL national media too much credit uh, when I say this, but I did notice that uh, Adam Schefter's tweet uh, regarding Cody Ford being out for the season – uh, Adam Schefter called it a big blow. And if you're a casual better, maybe, and you don't know anything about the Bills and you see Ian Rappaport mentioning that a Bills offensive lineman is out uh, and you don't do the research to find out that, A, Cody Ford isn't all that great, and, B, the Bills have been playing without Cody Ford for weeks, that is it possible that based just on volume, even if it's small bets, that the line could be moved by media misinterpretation of – of how significant an injury is? is it, can that happen? Yeah, we've seen a lot of offensive linemen going down. I mean, how many Dallas Cowboys offensive linemen went out just this week? And when you see a, when you see a starting offensive lineman go down, um, that, that's like a, a big blow, like, like the tweet says. Um, and, and you look at – you can look at Cody Ford. He was highly drafted. He was – you know, moved around from guard to tackle and, you know, 
he just he hasn't really found a home on the off on the starting offensive line where he's really contributed uh, that well. So I don't think as a Bills fan or as a person who's I guess in the know um, that him being out is anything substantial. But it's possible that you see that people being out and it it, it puts this this thought like, oh, they have a starting offensive lineman out. Oh, they have a starting wide receiver out, you know, that it, it really affects them. And I, I think John Brown is a much bigger blow to the team offensively than, than Cody Ford. We've yet to get a really good run game going. And if you see that an offensive lineman is out, you just think that that's going to continue. And it's possible that it could continue. But the Bills also aren't running the ball as much as they have in the past. They're probably in the top 10 of teams when it comes to passes versus runs in the league without even looking up a stat, I would guess they're up there for sure. Um, but that's because they're successful at throwing the ball really well. And when you see a, a, a starting receiver, whether you count John Brown as our number two or number three, um, him being out is a, is a pretty big blow. But again, just like Cody Ford, he's been out of the lineup for several games this, this year. And I don't think him being out is that big of a blow, just like Cody Ford. Um, so I think people see that and think, okay, let's bet on the other side. Chargers are a good team. They can score. Um, Herbert's having a great season. Um, but as a whole, the team's just not winning. He's won one game, two games. He's won two games. They won one game with uh, Tyrod Taylor, and he's beaten the, the Jets, who don't care to win, and they've beaten Jacksonville, who th those are probably two of the worst teams in the league. So, yeah, he's beaten um, two teams. He's got two wins, both at home. He's lost uh, at Denver on the road, which he had a couple of, uh, I think, like two interceptions. They lost um, at Miami last week, and he also had not a very good game. I think he had another pick or two in that game as well. Yeah, he had an interception as well. So he, he's definitely – not as good on the road as he is at home. He's got great stats so far, he'll, especially with um, Burroughs going down. He'll definitely be in the consideration for rookie of the year, if not a lock to be rookie of the year, if he continues with this stat line. Uh, but, you know, we want, they want wins, just like we want wins. We have great stats with a lot of our players as well. But when you talk to those players, or when, when the media talks to those players, they don't care about stats as much as they care about wins. And that's what a, a really great team chemistry is all about. What do you make of this over-under? The Bills have been uh, over-darlings um, at times this year. This is a, it's a high number. Um, before this year, it would have been considered a very high number. Now this seems like it's becoming more and more the norm. But how do you feel about where that number is settled in here late in the week? So it's, it's moving around um, a little bit, 52 and a half. Uh, it's, 53s. Um, I feel like with these two teams, with the offensive firepower that they have and the defense being having given up a lot of points, I mean, I think our defenses combined have given up probably 28 plus points a game. And, uh, you know, that just puts it on pace for an over bet. Um, so I, I would continue to bet Bills over. Um, they, that just seems like it's a, a, a bet that you just keep rolling with. I don't, I don't have it uh, right here in front of me, but I would guess that they've probably gone over both teams this year more than they've gone over. They've gone over more than they've gone under. 
but the Chargers are not good against the spread. Their last, they've been one and four against the spread the last uh, five games. Bills are only two and four against the spread their last six games. But the Bills have gone over eight in the last ten home games. Chargers have gone over the last seven games, all of them. Um, so you know that tells you play the over. Um, they've gone over eight of the nine, eight of the last nine road games. The Chargers have. Um, so I think you just continue to, to, to bet that over when you see two teams that um, they've averaged – uh, the Chargers have averaged 26 points this year. Bills have averaged 20, a little over 27 this year. And their defenses have given up 27 for uh, L.A. and 26 for Buffalo. So you put 26 and 27 together, and you got yourself an over. That's where they get, that's where they get those numbers, I guess. That's the uh, – <laughs> Right, that's you just the do the math, simple math, right? Uh, I think it all depends on on Herbert here, right? If if he can continue to roll, that over should hit pretty easily. But if Sean McDermott can figure him out, then Josh Allen's going to have to do some heavy lifting. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and I'm okay with that. I think uh, as Bills fans, you want to see um, Buffalo scoring. I mean, uh, the, the last – since the bye week uh, for the Chargers, they've scored 39 39- – 26, 21, and 34. So they're, they're, they're scoring a lot. Um, the Bills have been scoring a lot. The Bills, I think Sean McDermott's 3-0 uh, off after a bye week. So I, I think he, him getting extra time to prepare, the Bills getting extra time to get healthy. I was hoping that John Brown would have been, um, been, been healed up in that bye week, but his ankle injury looked really bad um, when it happened. So the fact that he's still considered day to day or week to week, I think, is a is a is a blessing considering how bad his ankle got rolled up on um, last week or two weeks ago, rather. I did some research uh, while you were talking there, Joel, because I want to be able to bring something to this show, um, and this segment in particular. So, yes, Sean McDermott is three and zero after a bye week, but uh, let's put some context onto it. All three of those teams finished their season five and eleven. So he hasn't done it against great teams. 2017, it was over Tampa. 2018, Jacksonville. 2019, Miami. All right? So just so you have that in your head. However, however, uh, Bills have gone over every one of those times. Maybe something to glean off of that. Uh, And they are 1-1-1 against the spread. Uh, They pushed against Tampa. They were three-point – underdogs and or three-point favorites and one by three points uh, against Jacksonville they were three-point underdogs and one outright and then against Miami this is a strange one I mean not strange I mean Miami was winless at the time the Bills went into that game as 17 point favorites tough to cover on that they ended up winning the game by 10 points so still an easy win so I mean yes the context is those teams weren't great at least at the end of the season, but one of them, Jacksonville, was favored. They still beat another team by double digits. They just didn't cover. Uh, And they went over all three times. So that seems to me like Sean McDermott would suggest that the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed coming out of a bye. Yeah, this game has a little bit of a feel of the I pulled this up because I was thinking of this game. Joel, it's all right. We we're we're all at home. 
and it's the holiday. Um, I, I think it's good right. to have what they call in the business ambient noise. Where you're on location <laughs> in the home office. Um, this um, this game Dogs kind of bark. reminds me. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, um, this game reminds me of the 2019 game against the Cleveland Browns um, when the Bills were six and two, and they had just whooped on Washington, and the Browns were two and six, and we ended up losing that game 19 to 16 in Cleveland. Um, this kind of has that feel. I mean, this is a team, uh, the Chargers, that don't have a good record, um, but can score at will at any point in time. Um, we've seen their receivers uh, just go on, you know, 70-yard touchdown passes. So we, we definitely need to make sure our back end is shored up, and this having this little uh, time off, uh, this week off, I think helps to make sure all of our defensive backs and safeties are are healthy and go because we're definitely going to need it against against this really high powered offense. They haven't finished a lot of games. Uh, they've only beat bad teams. They only beat um, Jacksonville, the Jets, and Cincinnati Week One. Um, so I, I think that uh, we're definitely dealing with a team that their record is not uh, really showing as to how good they are and how good they can be. So we definitely don't want to take this game lightly as the Bills sometimes do when they play lesser opponents. They play to their opponent, and we definitely don't want that this year. And I guess pretty fortunate uh, that this is uh, Sean McDermott's fourth season and that he now has all four of his games after a bye are at home. So that's a nice thing to have is coming off a bye plus a home game. Um, For sure. So, anyway, a lot of anecdotal stuff there. And uh, we also uh, talked to Gerald Dixon uh, earlier, the former Bills scout, who's a weekly guest on the show. And he likes the Bills in this game um, comfortably. He even dared to say double digits, didn't he? I mean, I think, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what he said. So He hinted at it, at least. He, yeah, he did. I mean, he says he, he called 303 touchdowns for Josh. So, I think uh, that's a pretty good, pretty good start. Towards yeah, so them if you're, putting up if you're a, listening to the Tim Graham show here today, you will uh, finish up by being very comfortable uh, with the Bills and, uh, and the over. Um, Joel, any other uh, bonus bets this week? Are you, are you feeling frisky? Yeah. Um, last week, and I'm not going to put it in the books because you can say it after the fact all, the, all day long, which a lot of people do in the, in the business when they're trying to sell their picks. I love the Steelers last week. That line was a touchdown off of what it should have been. Um, Jacksonville is just awful. Uh, Browns, Bills, Broncos, alliteration, triple B, big, what's that, what's that uh, triple B thing that people have? The Better big Business Bureau? Bureau? No, Big Baller Bean. Oh, big oh. Is a playoff of the Big Baller brand. Triple I B, see. we're going with triple B this week. Browns, Bills, Broncos. Browns, Bills, Broncos. Okay, so let me break that down. I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling. So Denver is getting five and a half at home against New Orleans and Taysom Hill, right? So yeah. maybe people are a little excited about Taysom Hill that's affecting the line. So we're going to take the yeah. Denver Broncos and the five and a half points. And Cleveland. Seven-point favorite in Jacksonville. 
which makes oh, me a little is. nervous. Makes me a little nervous that they're a seven-point favorite on the road. But Jacksonville is just garbage, just complete garbage. Uh, but I can't say that. I shouldn't say that because when I say somebody's bad, they actually end up doing well. So Mike Glennon in this that. week take, for the Jaguars. Take that, uh, take that statement back. Mike Glennon has the longest neck in the NFL. Dude has got the longest neck in the world. He's like a giraffe human. Especially, especially since Ashton Yabodi is out of the league. <laughs> exactly. Ashton Yabodi used to be in that conversation. Mike Glennon is listening well. to the show, and he's going to steal Joel's money. He's, yeah, he's like, oh, you think I got a long neck? Wait till you see what I do to your uh, Cleveland Browns. The Pez dispenser. Um, by the way, it's six points. I said five and a half. It's now six. So you're going to get an extra half a point uh, in case you need uh, to pull out a push there. So uh, Denver gets right, take it against New Orleans. Um, all right. Four bets. So uh, take the Bills and the over and the Browns and the Broncos. Right. We Sounds have a special deal. guest. We have a special guest uh, picker today as well. Yeah? Yep, come on. Who she got? Well, I was going to say, how many of those bets have to hit? Now she's shy. Now she's shy. She wanted to come out and chat the entire time. Now that I tell her to come out. No, I didn't. I can't say anything. But I don't know what's going on. Can I get a go, Bills? Nope. Come on. Give me a go, Bills. Nope. (laughs) She's not interested. Not interested anymore. Are you a Bills fan at least? What was the question? She, hear, she can't. Are you a Bills fan at least? Are you a Bills fan? She has to be. She has yeah, to be okay. a Bills fan. I'm not. You're not a Bills fan. All right. You have I, told to her, I told her growing up, if you're in this family, you're a Bills fan. There's no choices. Papa, you can't control a team I'm on. So, oh, what? that. <laughs> right. See? She's, she's like Fairburn. She's, she's going to do the opposite just because, <laughs> just to be spiteful. What's your name? Birdie. Birdie? Mm-hmm. I love it. And I love your... Only, black- a couple, only a couple people say my name right the first time, and the others say, like, dirty or something. Well, those people are stupid. <laughs> okay, well, you keep fighting against the patriarchy, Birdie. Uh, don't let the man uh, keep you down. You pick your team. The Las Vegas Raiders sound good. That's your hometown team. And I like your – but your glasses are kind of Bill's colors, aren't they? They're more purple than blue, but you oh, did get a new okay. pair of glasses. Yeah, I guess that's they're just true. Not in, they're just not in yet, so. All right, Birdie. Will you, are you having a good Thanksgiving? Uh-huh, and I don't know what just fell. I don't know what just fell either. Something fell. All right. <laughs> well – She'll be breaking hard soon enough. You, uh, you uh, enjoy this, Joel. All right. Thanks for uh, coming on. Birdie, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Righty. Take care. Right. Now, Papa, go clean your room. I'm going to go clean my room now. <laughs> get on it, man. I will. I don't want to get, get I've already cleaned my room, so that's that. All right. Time to go to Wait. the park. Oh, no, 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 no. Birdie, no, no. It's not time to go to the park. It sounds like he's already trying to get out of cleaning his room. No park. Yeah, until let's get cleaning. Room cleaning. Let's go to the park, get your bicycle ready, and go ride on a bike ride. He's just hey, trying to get out of yeah, cleaning his room. I'm out of it. I'm out of it already. All right. Clean your room, All right. 
Happy Thanksgiving to the Stanishevskis. All right, take care.